0: Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Communion Sunday, November 3rd, 2013. Today's message is Strengthened to Suffer by Pastor Brad Reed based on 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. Today's special music is the choir. Lord, unto me. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be here again this morning. I had the opportunity to preach a couple times here in September and then was asked to come back, which I think is a good sign on on my behalf anyway. So, thank you for inviting me and for giving me the opportunity to open up God's Word with you this morning. Last time I preached, I mentioned that uh, I'm a pastor. I've been serving for a number of years. Uh, I served at Bethany most recently. And I'm searching for my next position, where God will be calling me to serve next. And there's been some updates since then, some things that have happened. I've been interviewing through Skype over the computer with uh, a church in Terrace, Zion Baptist Church, another NAB church. And just this last week, they asked me to come up and candidate there for their lead pastor position. So I'm looking forward to it. My wife is a little bit more nervous. It would be a big move to go from Lower Mainland, where she has lived all her life, up to Terrace. But uh, we're trusting that if that's where God wants us to be, he's going to make it really clear to us, and he'll call us there. So we would, as a family, really appreciate prayers as we prepare for that. It'll be in December when we go up to, to Zion, to Terrace, to candidate, and to discover more of the ministry opportunity there. This morning, we're going to continue looking at uh, 2 Timothy. When I preached in September, we took a look at the first chapter. And over two Sundays, we we took a look at what Paul had to say to us in that that book. And this morning, we'll continue. We'll look at chapter 2, the first little bit of that chapter. You might remember, Timothy, the 2 Timothy, was written by Paul to his friend Timothy. Paul was coming to the end of his life. He was in jail. He was anticipating that he would be executed because of his faith. And he writes to to Timothy, his son in the faith. He wants to encourage Timothy to continue on preaching and teaching and living in a biblical manner. Gordon Fee says that, uh, in a sense, it's the last will and testament. It's a passing of the mantle from Paul to Timothy. Paul saying, Timothy, carry on in what you're doing. Continue to serve well. And Paul writes with confidence I'm amazed, actually, when you read through the book, how confident Paul is, even though he's sitting in jail, he's able to write about what God has done and about what God will do with great confidence. And he's writing to Timothy, who's serving in a challenging church, a church that has had false teachers come in, a church where even some of the leaders, some of the elders, were teaching things that weren't correct. So Timothy has challenges, and Paul encourages him. We looked, if you'll remember, at how Paul reminded Timothy of the legacy that he had, that there was an enduring legacy of faith that Timothy was a part of, and you as a church are a part of that same legacy. And we saw how we need to share our faith and expect to suffer as we live our faith in a biblical and in a godly way. And Again, it's, it's amazing because Paul wrote this what 2,000 years ago to Timothy. And yet because God's Spirit inspired what Paul wrote, we can read it this morning and we can see God's truth and we can apply it to our lives. So this morning we'll see that just like Timothy, we need to expect to suffer. We're coming back to that theme a little bit, suffering as we seek to follow Christ. But we'll see that we're not on our own, that God empowers us to teach and to live our lives in a way that will honor him, even in the midst of suffering. Let me pray, and then we'll look at 2 Timothy, verses 1 to 7. Lord God, again, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you that we can worship you in many ways. We can worship you on our own, and this morning we can worship you as a body of believers, believers in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for 2 Timothy. We thank you right now for these verses in the second chapter that we'll look at, seeing how you have prepared us to teach, you have prepared us to suffer, and we need to expect that in our lives. And yet we don't do that on our own, for your Spirit empowers us and allows us to teach well and to suffer well. So help us to discover your truth through your Word and put it into practice in our lives through the power and strength of your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can follow along as we read in 2 Timothy, the first few verses of of chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we have this transition. You then, my child. Again, you need to look back. Whenever you see those transitions, a you then or a therefore, take a look. What just happened? What was just written? So that you know some of the context of what's going on. Paul had encouraged Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel. That was a lot of chapter 1. Paul told him to follow the pattern of sound teaching, to guard the good deposit of the gospel. He was to follow the example of Onesiphorus, someone who cared for Paul, who ministered well to Paul and to others, who wasn't ashamed of what had happened to Paul when Paul was thrown into jail. And Timothy was to avoid the example of Phygellus and Hermogenes, these guys who had abandoned Paul, who had walked away from him. So we remember that, that there was this encouragement to continue well. And in light of that, what is Timothy to do? He is to teach. And he is to teach through the strength that God will give. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. See, we always need this reminder of God's grace. Sometimes we think, well, God's grace is what allows me to become a believer and to follow Jesus, to take that step of faith and to pray to him. And that's true. It's only by God's grace that we are saved. But his grace continues on in our lives. It strengthens us. It allows us to follow him, to become more like him, to teach others about him. And we need God's grace as we teach, because if we don't, we'll walk away from the truth. We'll teach things that aren't correct. We need to trust in the Spirit that he will help us to teach things correctly. The way that Paul writes it here is basically keep on keeping on as you are strengthened by God's grace. Keep on doing what you're doing, but continue also to be strengthened by the grace of God. So empowered by God's grace, we will teach properly. Empowered by God's grace, I pray that I will teach properly. But if I'm not relying on his grace, then there can be problems. I'll end up teaching on my own power. And I'll end up focusing on the things that I want to focus on. My own personal thoughts and opinions might start to creep into my preaching, into my teaching. I might decide, this is what I really want to talk about, and I'll find some way to maybe weave scripture into it a little bit, to make it look better, but it's really my thoughts being communicated, if it's just my strength and not God's strength. I'll pick and choose. I'll keep maybe trying to figure out ways to incorporate my own hobbies or or things that I like to do into my teaching. You might remember when I first came, I shared that I really like comic books. So maybe as a a teacher, as a preacher, I decide, you know what, I like Spider-Man. So I'm going to figure out how can I take the the, the lessons of Spider-Man and weave some scripture around it. Well, Spider-Man, great power, great responsibility. Perfect, we'll talk about that, and then I'll find a verse to tie in with it. Or maybe it's it's Batman, and I say, well, Batman, he had great tragedy in his life, and he lost his parents, and he arose out of that. And well, and even in bad situations, God can bring about good. So maybe I'll do that. Or maybe this guy, who's actually my favorite superhero of all time. You probably don't know who he is at all. Uh, This guy, he's an Avenger. His name is Hawkeye. And he has no powers at all, but he fights all these these supervillains uh, with these guys that have these huge powers. So maybe I'll say, well, you know what? If we just work hard and we figure things out, we can do okay. We can stand beside the giants and figure that out. And I then go and say, okay, what's the scripture that I can use to draw this in? Instead of saying, you know what? I need to stop figuring out my personal interests, and I need to return to scripture and go there first. And then if one of these things happens to tie in, sure, I can use it. But I need to always be trusting that God's grace, God's power, will allow me to understand his truth and will show me what needs to be taught. If I'm just teaching on my own, I'll avoid the things that I find uncomfortable. I might avoid them because I personally find them uncomfortable, or maybe I I realize that the culture that we're in doesn't always agree with the truth of Scripture. So, for example, maybe it's, it's teaching on homosexuality and how the scriptures say that is just not godly and same-sex marriage and all those sorts of things. But to stand up and to teach that under my own power would be hard. But trusting and knowing that God wants me to be teaching those things, then it's easier to be able to do that. I don't want to avoid things just because they're they're not politically correct or because they're offensive to some. Or maybe you've experienced times when, when someone tries to come up with their own teachings, invent it, and then pass it off as the gospel truth. Or maybe it's a situation in a, in a church where you have disagreements, and then someone decides that they'll, they'll find some passage somewhere that will support what their viewpoint is, when it's really just an opinion that they have, but they want to make it sound better. So maybe it's a case where there's, there's a meeting or something, and you're trying to decide the color of the carpet. And really, there's a, not a lot in Scripture that has to do with the color of the carpet in a church building, that I've come across anyway. But maybe someone says, you know, Paul said this, and they pull one little verse out of context and say, because Paul said this to Timothy, this is the color that the carpet should be. Or Moses said this to the Israelites about the tabernacle, and so therefore we need to make the carpet this color. Well, you're just trying to support what you really feel. It's just your opinion. You're trying to support your opinion through Scripture. But it can sound good, can't it? When someone quotes a Bible verse and you hear, well, the Apostle Paul said this, suddenly your argument, your opinion, sounds a lot better. It sounds biblical. It sounds like it fits the pattern of wholesome teaching that Paul talks about in chapter one. But does it really? This, again, is why I want people to know the Bible for themselves, to be reading all of it, not just reading little bits and pieces, but reading the whole thing. I didn't get again. Encourage you. Read the book of Second Timothy this week. If you did it back in September when I came, read it again. See what else you discover. But be reading all of Scripture to see how it ties in, so that you know the context of what's being taught. Don't take for granted what people teach. Don't take for granted what I come and preach on a Sunday morning. Don't take for granted what Isaac preaches on a Sunday morning, or what elders and, and other leaders teach. Be searching it out for yourself. Know it. Help us keep on track. I like it when people challenge me in things that I say because it gets me thinking, am I really relying on God's power or just my own ability, my own ways of teaching? One commentator talks about pastors and he says that we pastors must realize that all our gifts and skills rest on the foundation of Christ's person, words, and work. The foundation of Christ's person, words, and work. But that's not just for me as a pastor. That's for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. God has gifted me to teach and to preach. But I can abuse those gifts. I can use them for my own personal gain. I can lead incorrectly. So I need to rely on Christ to do these things well. It's my only option. And it's your only option as well. Because God calls all of us to be teaching and to be leading in some way. As followers of Jesus, we are called to go and tell others about him. And if we don't have Christ as the foundation of our ministries and of our teaching, we'll go astray. As a church, you could go astray. You could start picking and choosing. What things do you want to focus on? What things do you want to avoid? Ministries will become compromised. So all of us, we need to teach To the power of God's grace. We need to rely on him to help highlight truth, to declare truth to the people around us. In verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, what you have heard from reliable witnesses, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Timothy is strengthened so that he can teach. And what is he to teach? He needs to teach what Paul has passed on to him. And we have to understand that what Paul taught wasn't just accepted by Paul and by Timothy. We see that it had this widespread acceptance. Reliable eyewitnesses had seen what Paul taught, and Timothy had seen what Paul taught, and so there was this acceptance of this is the gospel truth. Paul taught what was affirmed by the disciples, the men who had followed Jesus as Jesus taught on earth. And the men who met with Jesus after he died, he rose from the dead. And so Paul was teaching that truth. And his teaching was in line with theirs, and Timothy's was in line with Paul's, which was in line with the disciples. In fact, even the way that the New Testament came to be recognized as Scripture has these similarities. It has this idea of widespread acceptance, many eyewitnesses looking at the scriptures and saying, this is what God has inspired. It wasn't that God just said, okay, the book of 2 Timothy, uh, it gets my stamp of approval. No, he worked through believers to take a look and to recognize God's spirit at work in those writings. So, is what is taught here at Ebenezer in line with the reliable witnesses of the past, in the the pattern of sound doctrine? Does it line up with the truth of the gospel? Is it affirmed by others? Uh, This is one of the reasons that Ebenezer is a part of the the NAB. I'll have to get you to to move ahead a a couple here. Um, My my clicker isn't working quite as I had hoped this morning. So, Uh, Ebenezer is a part of the North American Baptist Conference of Churches. It's a group of churches that have chosen to band together. And part of it is to hold each other accountable in terms of teaching, so that what is taught here is in line with the gospel. And it goes beyond just denominations. It's this tradition of of Protestant, of evangelical churches, taking a look and affirming key truths of the gospel. So the idea that we have this personal relationship with Jesus, that there's this experience of conversion, that at one point you were not a believer, but then God's grace was at work in your life, and you came to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, that you have this ongoing lifestyle of repentance and faith, that it's not just a one-time thing, but you're continually seeking to become more like Jesus. A daily life of discipleship to Christ. It involves prayer prayer. And It involves Bible study, uh, being involved in a local church, a willingness to share the gospel with others. All of these are part of the the tradition of the gospel. And they're things that this church and others like it affirm. It's confirmed by reliable witnesses. It's part of the tradition. And there's great variety in how it can be expressed. That's been one of the neat things over this last year or so when I haven't been serving at a specific church, to be able to come into a church like Ebenezer or Sunshine Ridge, or in a few weeks I'll be going to the Grove in in Langley and to see how they worship, how they express the gospel in different ways. Because the way you worship here this morning is different than at other churches. But that's good because it's an expression of who you are and how you preach and share the gospel. The way you teach your friends and neighbors needs to be different than how I preach and teach and share with my friends and neighbors because they're different people. I need to take some time over the next while to learn a little bit more about the community of Terrace, because my understanding is, it's a little bit different than the Lower Mainland. And so I need to discover, what is that culture like? How can I communicate well in a different city, in a different place? Proper teaching, I think, demands that we be students of the Bible on one hand, and students of our culture on the other. One uh, article I read just this week talks about us having to be bilingual, having two languages, the language of the scriptures and the language of our culture, so that we can translate what God is saying to our culture into words that our culture will understand. So we need to be bilingual. We need to speak both languages so that it can be properly heard and understood. We have this freedom to teach in different ways and to express our faith in different ways. It's one of the joys of our faith is that we have great freedom. But we have to be careful because with that freedom is a danger. It can be really easy to have the freedom and say, you know what, I'm going to take the traditions that we have as a church and in our minds it comes to the point where we think, well, those aren't just our church traditions, but those are biblical traditions, biblical mandates. And they kind of get mixed up together if we aren't really careful. So, for example, this morning we'll be having communion together. And my understanding is that here at Ebenezer, you usually have communion on the first Sunday of the month. And usually, although there have been other ways, usually what you do is is pass the elements on the plates through the the pews, and so everyone has an opportunity to, to take part in communion. And that's a great way to do it. Most of the churches that I've been at, that's the usual way of doing things. But there was a church I was at years ago, where we tried to do communion differently. And people got really, really upset. Uh, And they tried to find some biblical mandate for why they were upset. And ultimately they couldn't. But what was happening was they were saying, the way that we do communion is the biblical way. In fact, some of them said that directly to me. And we had to challenge them and say, well, no, actually the New Testament doesn't tell us how to take communion. It tells us why we should take communion. It tells us about the elements of communion and the reasons for communion. But it doesn't say you shall do it in this way on this day of the month all the time. In fact, there's great freedom that way. But we can get confused and we can say the way we do things must be the biblical way instead of acknowledging that things can be different. And that's not just for communion but for all the ways that we worship together as a church. There isn't much in the New Testament about the order of service in in terms of how we should worship. There's freedom, and that means we can change things. But we cannot change the content of the gospel. What we are preaching, what we are teaching stays the same. The way we present it can change, and I think needs to change because of how our world changes and how we can communicate more effectively as we change the ways that we teach. I think that's what it means to guard the deposit what it means to be in line with the reliable witnesses. Keeping the gospel message pure and then making sure that others can hear it and understand it. So we're to teach and we're to teach through the strengthening of God's spirit. But that doesn't just have to do with the preaching or the small group lessons or the youth group ministry or all these other things that that we might do throughout uh, the week. It has to do with how you live your lives. It has to do with all of those things, but it's so much more. We look at Paul and Timothy. Timothy is told to teach what he has learned from Paul. And we need to remember that they had this really close relationship. They ministered together a lot. They traveled together. But it wasn't like travel today, where they could hop on a plane. So in in a few weeks, when I go to Terrace, my wife and I will fly up there. It'll just be a few hours to get there. Instead of what Paul and Timothy would have had to do, which would be walk there. It would have taken a lot longer they would have had a lot more opportunity to get to know each other. They would have eaten meals together on the road. They would have shared a fire. They would have joked. They would have told each other about their, their, their past, the things that they had learned, the challenges that, that they have faced. It was more than just a teacher and student relationship. It was two friends working together. I don't know if uh, when you were growing up and, and going to school, I had this experience where my teachers, I kind of got in my mind that they just lived at the school uh, when I was young. I don't know if you ever kind of had that thought, but the only time I ever saw my teachers was in the classroom. And so logically, they must have had one of like those fold-down beds behind the blackboard or something, and that is where they lived. And they would just have their meals in the staff room or whatever it might be, because the only context I had for those teachers was the classroom. But then there was this one day where I was out with, with my mom. I was in like grade 3 or grade 4, and we're at like the, the Safeway, And Mrs. Richardson, my my teacher, walks by, and it it rocked my world because she was getting groceries and it looked like she might live somewhere outside of the school. And I had to stop, and it it was really this eye-opening thing, like, oh, my, my teacher is a person, too. It makes sense now, but back then, that was what I understood about teachers. They were a teacher, and that was it. Well, Paul and Timothy had so much more than just a teacher and student relationship. They were friends. They were co-workers. They saw each other at their best, and they saw each other at their worst. So it would be like you getting to see me this morning when, you know what, yes, there was the time change, and that's wonderful, unless you've got a uh, -a two-and-a-half-year-old at home who doesn't know that the time has changed and doesn't realize what a great blessing it is to have an extra hour of sleep. So he still woke up at uh, what he thought was five o'clock, was really closer to four o'clock. And so if you had seen me at that time in the morning without a cup of coffee, you would have seen me maybe at one of my worst moments. I'm not sure if it was the worst, but it wasn't a great moment. Or maybe when I'm stuck in traffic and everyone else around me is the bad driver. It's not me. It's everyone else that's a bad driver. Or when I was preparing this message and I was searching around for my my commentaries on 2 Timothy, and I knew they were around somewhere and I couldn't find them and I was in the little storage room under the stairs and I was hitting my head on the, on the ceiling that's sloping down and I'm getting more and more frustrated and I'm thinking, man, if I just had a job, that would mean I'd have an office, which would mean bookshelf space. And then it would be easy to find the commentaries and I was getting angry and I was slamming things around and my wife calls down and says, is everything okay? Yes, it's fine. It's okay. That was not my best moment. But the people who know me well have seen me in the good times and in the bad times. And they're okay with that, recognizing that I'm learning and growing. It's one of the benefits of having a, a long-term friendship with someone. Uh, looks like things are, are getting a, a bit mixed up there. But uh, my friend, Tim, is, is a friend of mine. Uh, we might be able to get a picture up. I'm not sure. But he is the, the youth pastor. Ah, I think it's up. There he is. Yes. You should have seen, I actually got to preach at Sunshine Ridge where he's a, a pastor. Some of you might know him from May Camp. Uh, this is one of the nicer pictures that I shared on that Sunday. But uh, Tim and I have known each other for many years. We met at Bible College back in the, uh, the, the, the late 90s and we've ministered together in some different places. And he's seen me at good times and bad times and I've seen the same in his life. Um, one of the, the times that really jumps out at, for me was when Tim and his wife had come to visit me when I was serving at a, a church in, in southern Alberta. And then they left. They were going to her parents' place. And just a few hours later, I got a phone call from, not from Tim or from his wife, but from her parents. Uh, and they said, well, can we come back and stay at your place tonight? We need to fly out to Vernon, where, where Tim's parents are from. And what had happened was his mom had been in a car accident and, and was killed in that accident. So it was this, of course, out of nowhere... Kind of thing, seeing Tim at one of the worst times, and figuring out how do we care for him. And so they stayed at my place, I drove him to the airport. You you do what you can. But if it had just been a case of Tim being a friend from college and then never seeing him again, we wouldn't have been able to walk through that a little bit together. And he's walked through things with me that have been very hard and very challenging. But it was not just him teaching. There's times when he comes and he says, you know what, this is what the scriptures say about something, and Brad, you need to get it together. But Even more, it was him living his life in a way that I could see God's power and strength at work in him. And I think we learn probably more from those times than from the classroom times, or even the Sunday morning times. It's that saying, it's a cliche, but it's true. You practice what you preach. And so I've seen in Tim's life that he follows through on what he preaches and what he teaches. And I hope people will be able to say that about me. Timothy certainly was able to say that about Paul. In uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 7 to 9, we read about what Paul talks about in terms of leaders being above reproach, having a lifestyle committed to God. And he writes, and he says, For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. See, Paul taught and he lived in line with the scriptures. And Timothy knew that. And our best teachers are the ones who not only teach us about our faith, but they model it to us in close relationships. That's why community groups, small groups, times outside of just a Sunday morning can be so key in your growth, people who come together and pray for you. And don't just say that they'll pray for you, but they come to your place and they pray with you through things. Because it's one thing to come together and be taught a list of, this is what God says we need to do. This is the doctrine we need to know, the things that we should believe. It's important. I think that's valuable to be taught that way. But we need to come together and we need to share, how are we doing in living life? How are we doing in terms of trying to follow Jesus Where are we struggling? Where do we need help? Where can we encourage one another? And that can't happen just on a Sunday morning or even just on a a Wednesday night. But it can happen as you make a commitment to growing closer not only to Jesus but to each other. How have you seen people living out their faith? Can you affirm that? And can you go and try and do the same thing? So be good teachers, but take heed to the next few verses. This is where the suffering comes in as well. In verse 3, we read that we need to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. First, we recognize the fact that we will suffer. Paul doesn't say, if you happen to suffer, make sure you do it as a good, good soldier. No, he says, you will suffer. It will happen. Be ready for it. You need to be willing to suffer together with someone. Suffering because of our belief in Jesus should be normal. Again, Gordon Fee writes about this, and he says, to judge from the New Testament, it's not the presence of struggling and suffering in the life of a Christian that ought to be questioned, but rather the absence of them. So it's not that we should question people if they're suffering. If they're struggling, we shouldn't question their faith. In fact, Gordon Fee says, based on on 2 Timothy here, that if people aren't suffering or struggling in their faith, Then you need to wonder what's going on. So I guess we could look around and say, okay, who isn't suffering and why not? What's going on in their lives? Which is a big challenge. It's not what you want to hear. It's, again, one of those uncomfortable things, but God's word is clear. As followers of Jesus, we should expect suffering to come. And we need to think about what suffering looks like in our lives because it's not the same as Paul sitting in jail back 2,000 years ago for his faith, or Timothy struggling with a church that was uh, having leadership issues. It might be things like uh, what I was saying earlier, taking a stand in terms of of homosexuality or same-sex marriage. But it's not even that. It's, It's things like in your workplaces. Are you willing to work in a way that's upright and not cut corners, not do whatever you can to get ahead? Or as a student, are you willing to make sure that you don't cheat? and make sure that whatever you do, you do with integrity. Or in in families, making sure that you, you make your family an important priority, which is not always the way that our culture tells us to focus our time and our priorities. And as you stand up for these things, as you work in a way that's honoring to Christ, co-workers might not like that. Or it might mean you end up being passed up for a promotion or a raise or something like that because you're not willing to cut the corners to make yourself look better, but you're, you're, you're living and you're working with integrity. And that's just a little bit about what suffering could look like, but there's there's so much more that we need to learn and grow and understand about what it means to suffer. So we're to suffer. First is soldiers. Paul, in, in verse 4, says that no soldier gets entangled in civ- civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one enlisted him. Soldiers are focused. They have devotion. They have discipline. Paul would have been thinking about the Roman soldiers, maybe even some of the ones who were serving as guards for him in jail. And the Roman soldiers had this reputation of being so disciplined that they were unbeatable. If you saw a Roman army marching towards your city, you knew that you had no hope because they had discipline. They had focus. They would win the battle. And they were separate from the ways of the world. Their commitment to their commanders meant that they would not get distracted. That doesn't mean they weren't a- aware of the civilian affairs or the things going on, but they didn't let those things distract them from their main focus, pleasing their commanding officer. And we need to be the same. We need to be completely and totally focused on Christ. We need to do what he calls us to be doing. We don't get focused on other things. We stay focused on him and what he has in mind for us to be doing as we serve. One of, the good, one of the marks of a good soldier is being able to distinguish between doing good things and doing the very best things. And one of the things that, that over my years in ministry that I, I've talked with people about, you'll, you'll hear this and wonder, well, why would he say that? But I'll often say to people, you need to be less involved in church stuff. You don't need to be coming out to a meeting and to a ministry, and to this thing, and to that thing, and to the other. Because what's going on in their lives is they're so focused on getting to the church building for all these different things that they're neglecting some of the even better things, their family, or their neighbors, and the opportunity that they have to be involved in serving in their community. They need to be thinking about how God, how Jesus is calling them to serve. You need to be thinking the same things. How are you called to serve your spouse, your kids, your church, your neighborhood, which means figuring out if there's all these different things, what are the very best things to focus on, which means you might have to say no to some things as well so that you can focus on the things that are really priorities for you as Christ reveals them, reveals them to you. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be really involved in different ministries and different things, but it's all a part of your, your greater life of service and devotion to Christ. Verse 5 tells us that an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. This has to do with suffering as well. Uh, Our devotion and discipline must extend to all aspects of life. Discipline training, preparation are required. I heard a story a while ago about a, a friend who had decided that he wanted to impress his then-girlfriend who he's now married to. So it must have worked in some way, but he decided he was going to run a marathon. No training, no preparation, so he ran the marathon, and then right after the the marathon was done, he hopped in his car and drove from here up to Prince George to meet his new nephew, who had just been born. Well, you know what? He got out of the car. He could not move because he was so stiff and so sore because he had no preparation. He hadn't been ready to run that marathon. We need training. We need to be prepared. We need to be in God's word so that we're prepared for what he calls us to do. Athletes are known for self-control, and they know that there's consequences if they break the rules. But the hard work and the perseverance pays off. They're rewarded with a crown. And we can look forward to the rewards Christ has promised us. When we see him face-to-face, he will reward us. And the commitment must be there even when tempted to quit. When you just want to give up. You have to keep the prize in mind. So you need to think about when are you tempted to quit? Is it when financial pressures are there? Or when your marriage just isn't what you thought it would be? When your children just aren't doing what you thought they would do? Uh, When your friends aren't there for you in the ways that you thought they would? You need to recognize that difficult times will come. And that through those you can grow. You can become more disciplined and able to persevere as you suffer, as you struggle in those difficult times. They can help you to gain the prize, but it's not easy to be competing for that prize. And then finally, in verse 6, we read that it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, this is not a, if you work hard, you will get paid well kind of example. Instead, this is a reminder that we will be rewarded. That we will be rewarded for staying faithful, for enduring suffering. Just like the farmer who works for years is rewarded with a bountiful crop. He gets up early. He goes to bed late. He'll receive a prize. We will as well. But it might not be until we see Jesus face to face. But we need to remember, we can't teach on our own. We need God's grace for that. And in the same way, we can't suffer on our own. We need God's strength as we seek to live as a good soldier, as a good uh, athlete, and as a good farmer. And actually what's amazing is you can look to Christ as the perfect example of all three of those, can't you? He is the perfect soldier. He is the perfect athlete, and he is the perfect farmer. And we can look to his example on how to live well and how to suffer well. He concludes, our, our, our section concludes this morning, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding, in everything. We need to carefully reflect on what it means to teach, on what it means to suffer as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer. And we need to reflect on the fact that there are those around us who are not teaching correctly, who want to damage the good deposit of the, the gospel, who are not relying on the grace of God to teach and to serve and to live well. But we need to recognize that the ability to reflect on what we have learned, to think over what has been said, comes from God. His grace gives us the strength to teach, and it gives us the strength to endure. And it allows us to understand what he is teaching us. So as we conclude, and throughout this week, be thinking, how can you teach? Who are you called to teach? How does your context impact how you will teach those people, friends, neighbors, those around you? How can you suffer well? And what does it mean for you to be suffering? What things have you suffered as a follower of Christ? What things can you look ahead to and anticipate you might suffer for? How can you encourage those around you to suffer well? How can you do that through the grace of Christ so that it will be his power and not yours that you rely on? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you again for being a God who communicates to us. I love your word, and I love the fact that it was written thousands of years ago, and yet it speaks to us. And I thank you for the example of Paul and Timothy and how they knew each other well, not just as student and teacher, but as friends and co-workers. And I pray that we would look to their example on in terms of how to teach well. That we would stay true to the gospel, to the pattern of sound teaching that has been passed on in in the eyes of, of reliable eyewitnesses. And that we would go and we would teach others who can then teach others. And that we would stay true to the gospel while still being willing to change how we teach so that people would hear. And I pray that you would help us to suffer well. It is not easy to be a follower of Christ. And so I pray for this church, that you would help them to remain strong, that your grace would be evident in their lives in a way that they could only say is from you and from your spirit. And we pray this in the power and in the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen.